What's up, YouTube? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Bar Podcast live stream, episode 93. Um, today, I, this is the first time I'm going to have a doctor on the show. I feel like feel like I should mind my P's and Q's or something like that. But nonetheless, uh, Dr. Alan Lim, 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 L-I-M. I hope I'm saying it right. Well, we'll see if he can correct me in a minute. From uh, Scratch Labs, he's the uh, founder and creator of what they what they sell over there. If you're not familiar, they have hydration supplements and um, like energy gels and recovery drinks, things of that nature. And we'll get into all that. In the meantime, I want you guys to do me a favor. If you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, please do that. It's just that little button right down there. It definitely helps the channel grow. It helps me keep motivated because when I see those numbers rise, it makes me feel good about myself. And then I keep doing this. So that's a pretty easy thing to do. If you like what you're listening to, hit the thumbs up button. If you guys want some content other than this, you can swing by the biker channel. That's that my POV channel. If you're not familiar with it, that's just B1KER on YouTube. And then also you could follow me on uh, Instagram or Facebook. That's at B1KERB1. So you can go over there, see the pictures and things of that nature that I'm posting on the daily daily basis. And if you really want to help the channel or the channels out a lot, you want to go above and beyond, you can swing by Patreon and um, be, a, be a contributor there. I have a couple different tiers. You can just pay a buck a month. It's like tipping the bartender. You know, he pours your beer and boom, he gets a buck. So here you are getting two hours of content every Sunday or something like that, right? It's worth a buck. And also you can get some coupons for some of the um, different companies that I've worked with along the way as well. So save yourself some money. Most people are saving more than the $12 a year if they do that. You could bump up to five bucks a, a month and you can get a sticker pack and uh, you can also get something else I'm not thinking of. Oh. The extra content so i have been also like first of all i make the the long rough cuts like everybody else does but i actually make content that's specifically just for patreon videos that aren't on youtube so it's not like they're just the um rough cuts of my my regular videos they're actually videos that aren't on youtube so if you want to want to see some of that there's a $5 tier and then there's another tier there for the super fans. You guys can go check it out, see if it's worth it to you, but you can get a bunch of swag with that one. And, um, that's about that. So here we are, man, episode 93 coming along. It's super hot this year. So, um, I mean, as it is always in Northern California summertime. So I am in the house for those of you guys that are watching instead of out in the garage, I got my pseudo garage behind me. But um, let's go ahead and get started. Bring bring uh, Dr. Dr. Allen up here. How's it going, man? It's going really well. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. I am, I'm super stoked to have you on, honestly. Um, there's so many questions that I have about the products that I, um, I, I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to start firing. But I think the first thing would be, what, what was it that, that decided, like got you into like deciding to, to start a business like this? You know, I mean, we live in America. It's a capitalistic society. I needed a way to make, <laughs> make a living, I think. Right. And luckily, the way that I was able to make a living followed my passion and uh -huh. my passion around cycling and around sports science. Uh -huh. um, so I feel really, really grateful, um, not just 
for that possibility, for, you know, the possibility of being able to be in a country where you can start your own business, but uh-huh. to my team and everyone who supported me through, through it all, uh, it's certainly something that you can't do by yourself. Right. Right. And right. You need a, a, a lot of people and for my partners and for, the, for those who work at scratch, holy cow, you know, they're, they're the real heroes here. Uh huh. When you, when you went to school originally, I mean, you're, you're a doctor. So, I mean, what was your, what was your plan when you were going to going to school? Yeah. Well, I'm not a medical doctor. I have a okay. PhD in exercise physiology. I originally, you know, went to school for undergrad at UC Davis, uh, where uh-huh. I did an exercise science degree. And then I eventually did a master's in exercise phys at CU Boulder, University of Colorado at Boulder. Uh-huh. Um, and then finished my PhD at the University of Colorado at Boulder as well. Uh, in the integrated physiology uh, program in the applied exercise science lab. Uh-huh. So, you know, I think my plan was to be Kevin Costner in the movie American Flyers. That was yeah. uh, generally the model. Uh, <laughs> You're just shooting for it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was kind of, I got really, really lucky that I got to stick to plan A, which was, you know, ending up on the pro cycling tour for about seven, eight years. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, were, are you from Colorado originally or...? No, um, I like to tell people that all my parts are from China, but I was made in the Philippines and I was uh-huh. raised in Los Angeles, California. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so how'd you end up in Colorado then? What was the, what was the deal there? The, the deal with Colorado was graduate school, but uh-huh. I, I also think it, it follows the movie American Flyers. If people have not seen this movie, it's one of the more iconic cycling movies out there. And in this movie, Kevin Costner, uh, races in the hell of the west which is you know also the course classic and when i was a a a kid 13 14 years old i fell in love with cycling um loved riding my bicycle all over southern california all over la and i made my parents uh follow the course classic and so we got to see a bunch of stages you know we got to come out and visit colorado so i've always had kind of a a seed in my head about moving out to Colorado Uh and that opportunity, you know, came true um, when I got into graduate school at the university of Colorado. Right. Right. I I am surprised that I didn't, I don't know that movie and I'm, I I watch a lot of movies. That's kind of like, Oh man, this is, this is classic eighties movie with the classic eighties soundtrack. And, oh yeah. It's got it know, all like, it's, it's like it's, a step above rad, but, but like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe it's a step below rad. Uh, oh, below. Oh, it man. depends on who, who you're talking to, but uh, it is a iconic movie. So uh-huh. definitely watch it, you know, and it's weird to think that, you know, as a, as a, as a young kid, my life arc was actually determined by a movie. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny how that thing, those things happen, but they do, man. You know, yeah. Like, that's the thing about being a creator. You know, you can you can create something that changes people's lives, whether it's you that's know right. like a product that you're making or a movie or anything like that. It's uh, it's that's it's, right. It's very interesting the influence that people can have on others. You know. Yeah, and and I think we all want to be inspired, and I think that's why the Olympics that are happening right now are so amazing, right? Because yeah, we 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 love to inspire others. We love to be inspired. Yeah. Uh, that's that's human nature, and that's what keeps us going. And and otherwise, yeah. kind of you know, otherwise we might be stuck in our own existential angst, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. How'd you how'd you get into writing as a kid? 
Uh, I initially got into riding as a form of transportation, you know, yeah. and I think that it it's interesting to me that you know, as a, as an American, we're we're such a car culture, right? But especially uh, in California. Yeah, especially in California, especially yeah. in LA where I grew up. But as an immigrant kid, I didn't have a lot of options to get around. My parents were always really, really busy. They didn't have the time to, you know, tote me around to the different things I wanted to go to. And, yeah. you know, my brother and I were largely latchkey kids. Uh -huh. So we used the bicycle to get around and to explore. And, you know, we had yeah. a lot of freedom there. I think my parents would be, you know, totally, you know, mortified if they knew all of the places that we went as kids right, on a bicycle. Right. Yeah. But the bicycle is first and foremost, a wonderful tool for transportation. And, yeah, it you know, it's, it's, it's probably the most important tool for transportation in my mind. It gave me opportunity when I was a kid. And then eventually I joined the Boy Scouts. And that's when I realized or learned that there was a lot more to it, along with the movie American Flyers and the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics where Connie Carpenter won the gold, Alexi Greywall won the gold. I mean, Team USA killed it at yeah, those yeah. LA games. And so that all kind of colluded to, you know, transition me from just riding for transportation to actually then touring and learning more about the sport. And then, you know, I joined a local junior team in California called the Montrose Cycling Team, which was built on the backs of a whole lot of volunteers. And, uh -huh. you know, I got really lucky that way. There was just a community of folks in Southern California who gave their time to help young kids like myself at the time learn about yeah. bike racing and take me to bicycle races and, you know, look so after me like, on group rides. Like road riding is what you were doing then at that point? Yeah, I was doing road riding. I was... Uh -huh you know, showing up to rides like the Rose Bowl ride on Tuesdays and Thursday nights in Southern California or the Saturday morning Descanso Gardens ride. And these are just big pack road rides, right? Um, uh -huh. And I was just a kid and there were always, you know, adults there who were looking after you and kind of ushered you along and taught yeah. you the ropes. And uh, that's how I got my, my start into the world of competitive cycling. But, you know, at, at its heart, it starts with just being a kid on a bicycle. Yeah, yeah. It's funny when you explain that because it definitely reminded me of my own childhood. And I don't know if it just has to do with that that time in in like when we grew up, or or uh, it, or if it's really circumstantial, you know. But it seems like a yeah. lot of people that are around my age. I mean, I'm mid forties right now, and like uh, a lot of people had similar stories where it, it's like that. I mean, I I definitely my parents definitely didn't have a clue how far we were going on the bikes. Yeah. And, uh, we, we rode a lot of BMX. So it was like, you would ride all the way to one side of the town. It'd be like miles and miles away to like, go hit some jumps over there. And then that's right. Ride all the way to the other side of town to hit some other ones. And I don't yeah, know. That's we right. Were... That's right. I, I started out on BMX bikes too. And you're right. We'd ride clear across town to get to a comic book store. Right. And yeah go to a 7-Eleven and get a cold icy and brain freeze and, you know, yeah. some yeah. bubblicious and all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the good stuff back then. <laughs> the hubba right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> funny. So, so you start getting into this, like, competitive side. Did you – were you a racer or – Yeah, I raced um, – you know, raced through the junior ranks and that opened up uh, a lot of really cool experiences. I got to go to junior nationals, um, 
I got to race in Europe uh, when I was still in high school. So, you know, I think it gave me a lot of confidence. It made me feel really special. It made me feel like I was unique and I did something that other people couldn't do. And I think that, you know, I've always been pretty shy and pretty quiet. Um, and that gave me something, you know, maybe that was just for me, just for myself. Yeah. I'd go for these long bike rides and, you know, would often come home and never tell anybody where I was or what I did, yeah. you know, it was kind of yeah. deeply personal. Uh, but that was, that was my core and that was uh, yeah. a big part of my identity. I guess it's been part of my identity ever since. Yeah. I always remember thinking there was all these guys that were like good at football or baseball or basketball and all these other things. And like, I, I was not good at any of that. And I didn't have like a family structure that raised me to get better at those things. Mm -hmm. But riding bikes was like something that I was just good at, you know, and, yeah. like, and it similar story where it just like it, it made me feel feel good to like have something that I could do and be proud of. And um, I think you that's know, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and where did you grow up? I grew up in Pennsylvania. That's originally where I'm from. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah you were dirt biking around, you know, yeah. and back there, there's just like. I mean, the cities are older, so it's not like track home developments, you know, and it's, so it's like to get across town and they're kind of like, you know, some of them are like, yeah, regular cities, but a lot of like, like where I grew up, it's kind of like a, not rural, but like you, you, there's like tree patches and like, like, like uh foresty areas kind of mixed in all the houses. And so yeah, it's like, yeah. You're, you're, there are all these like little dirt trails that would like go from yeah. here to there. And, cut throughs. You had, yeah. you had all the cut throughs. Yeah, yeah. And so like as a kid, that like those were the things that we were riding on all the time. So yeah. Later, whenever I like made the transition to mountain biking, it really wasn't that different than what I had been doing. Yeah. Except for now, it was like kind of you know more, more strictly like staying on the dirt. Yeah. So I see a few few uh, road bikes there. I don't know if I can. I think that looks like a mountain bike there to your to your right. To yeah, right. I, I got I got two mountain bikes. I got a gravel bike and I got two road bikes. I got a lot yeah. of bikes. Yeah, yeah. Man. There's always room for one more though, right? That's right. And plus one. <laughs> right. So how'd you get into mountain biking then from the road stuff? You know, I, I wouldn't even say that like I'm a mountain biker or a road biker or whatever biker. I just like bikes, right? Yeah. And I like all types of bikes, and I'm always thinking about bikes. So, you know, you just got to try them all. You got to ride them all. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it's a it's a ton of fun. I I think I I I I suck relatively speaking as a mountain biker, but um, you know, it's all fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the mottos of my channel channel is it only takes a bike to be a biker. That's so, right. That's and right. that's really the that's the truth of it, you know. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what you're on or like what times you're putting down or whatever it is. It's like get out there and you know push the pedals and and you know come back with a smile on your face, right? That's right. That's right. I, I even have like a little Brompton folding bicycle that I rode to the airport once towing a suitcase with me. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that was that was a hard ride. I I, yeah. I, I actually cramped on that ride. Oh wow! <laughs> you should have been using the products, huh? Or was that before the products? No, that was during. It was just such a little bicycle, and you just yeah, yeah, the whole I can time. That, yeah, that's, that's that funny. was that was a fitness issue. Yeah, well, those things happen, right? Absolutely.
so you're doing this like like racing at this level and, and going to I, i'm assuming you're doing this while you're going to college still yeah i raced juniors uh, at a pretty high level when i was in high school i went to college um you know and started racing collegiate cycling which was probably some of the most fun bicycle racing i've ever done it was definitely the, the bicycle racing where you felt the most like a real team and you know where there's a point system that's created so between with, the with, different with categories davis. yeah riding with uc davis and you start to develop all these friendships across all the different schools in california right because yeah. um, you'd show up to a, a race and there's so many schools in california that I, I felt really lucky to be in such a hotbed of collegiate cycling at the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of my best friends and, you know, deepest friendships came from that time in my life racing collegiately. It was also a model that really taught me a lot about, about team and teamwork and, you know, about being there for others. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, collegiate cycling definitely left a huge positive impression on me and i always look to the the college racers to you know kind of see who's up and coming and yeah, you know, yeah. where where the, where the talent is and now with nica you know and these big high school leagues and you know the continuation of collegiate cycling uh, yeah people you know complain that there's not a pipeline in in cycling in america but it's it's not bad it's there if you if you seek yeah. it out i think i mean they're put there they have like middle school and high school teams now if they yeah. would have had a bike team like that when I was a kid, that, that oh. would have been like a dream come true to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. You were probably a weirdo riding bikes as, in high school, right? Yeah, I yeah was there weirdo. was definitely like a handful of us that were riding bikes, and that was about it, you know? That's and like right. everybody else, like, and, and I'm talking about guys that even once, you know, people got their licenses, we were still going out and riding, you know? And that was like, yeah. You did definitely see some people disappear, you know, <laughs> once they yeah. could drive, but yeah. I mean, it was a pretty core group, I, I, but uh, yeah, that, there, there's definitely a path nowadays, and especially um, right. it, it seems like like it's definitely building a lot better than it was. That's right. So somewhere along the line, you start like coming up with this idea, like how did this, how did Scratch come come to be? Like it was just like you graduated yeah. college, you're like I want to start a business, or was it no, by, not you know, like. Not a not at all By accident on purpose uh, yeah it was, it was fairly uh the business itself was in some ways accidental but the products were not uh -huh. i graduated with my phd in, in exercise uh with exercise physiology and i had helped to make some you know kind of cool tools and some innovations uh, around my phd uh, i was working with a group that uh developed a rear hub power meter called the power oh. tap yeah yeah um yeah and that was that was effectively my you know a big part of my doctoral work oh, that's and neat. so i had all of this expertise and knowledge around training with power at a time when this was still a really really novel tool and not ubiquitous and pretty rare and that got right. me um to the world cycling tour and so i worked as a sports scientist um on the pro cycling tour for uh, about seven, eight years or so, uh, where I, I coached athletes and, you know, worked as a sports scientist, primarily grand tour riders, riders who were competing in races like the Tour de France, et cetera. Oh, wow. and how, how did that end up? Like, how did you end up there? Like, you just, like, knew somebody or, like, saw a posting on Craigslist. You're like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of how it, how it works out. Uh, you know, a lot of it was the fact that I grew up, you know, 
in cycling. And I, I grew up at a, you know, fairly high level as a junior cyclist. Right. And so many of the friends that I had made as a young kid were now racing on the pro cycling tour. And yeah. so there was some familiarity and there was some trust. People, people knew who I was and, you know, you add to that, that I had, you know, my education and I had an expertise around a very, very specific tool for training athletes. Yeah. Um, one thing effectively led to another, but it was primarily the Sarah cycling group um, uh -huh. who bought the power tap and uh -huh. started selling the power tap that was sponsoring um, an athlete named Floyd Landis from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they connected us and I moved out to work for his team Phonak. Yeah, and that's how it started. Um, from there, he's, you know, big, he's I, been with the CBD stuff now too, isn't he? That's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's yeah. growing a lot in Pennsylvania. So um, I went from from there to a, a very young squad the next year called TIA Cref that was um, led by Jonathan Botters. And you know, for for me uh, and for Jonathan for the whole team, the 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 ethos of that team was to helped to start to change the sport, cleaning up. We started something called the biological passport, which was looking at biological mechanisms that might be associated with performance enhancing drug use rather uh -huh. than looking for the drugs themselves. And in the midst of that, I was also, you know, basically given the responsibility to take care of all of these very young, young athletes. And, uh -huh. you know, while sports science can get you pretty far the, the reality is is it's such a brutal sport and you know i was working with americans who were far from home that you had to also bring a level of nurturing a level of care that yeah. effectively was you know trading a, a lab coat for you know an apron and yeah you know, cooking for these athletes and you know uh being there for 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 them however you could and I remember we were at a race in uh, Ireland called the Milk Ross, and all of our sports nutrition uh, that we were supposed to have did not arrive. And so uh -huh. I'm all of a sudden at this, you know, 10 day stage race, and I have no way to, to feed the athletes while yeah, yeah. they You're were like, racing. How are we going to fuel them? Yeah, exactly. Right. So I literally started to, you know, uh, make food from scratch. I started boiling these little potatoes for them that I would dress in olive oil and yeah. um, Parmesan cheese. I started just hacking together a sports drink for them, started making these little sushi onigiri rice cakes uh, uh -huh. for them. And what I learned from that race is that when we fed them real food and when we made the sports drink really simple, just a little bit of sugar and enough salt to replace what they were losing in their sweat, they performed a lot better. And they performed a lot better than with a lot of the pre-manufactured, you know, sports nutrition that we were giving them. I, I think one of the ubiquitous problems. Like at that time, it was probably like Gatorade and that was about it, right? Yeah, it was Gatorade. There were some other competitors out there. Uh, you know, there was there were there was Power Bar. There were a lot of gels. Yeah. There were things of this nature. Uh, There's Power but, Bars back. I mean, we're, we're we're I'm assuming we're talking like early '90s at this point, something like that. No, I mean, yeah, we're talking we're talking 2000s now. Oh, okay, right? yeah. So there are so a lot they, of the Power Bars were starting to get a little better at that point. Then I remember the early '90s. They were like, oh, they were awful. Yeah, you had Cliff, <laughs> you had Cliff Bar, for example, that was really really. You know, going going gangbusters at the time. Uh huh. Uh, you know, unfortunately, despite the fact that a lot of these companies were doing a really good job and making good product, 
at that level of sport, when you're consuming that much and you need that much, these athletes, despite the fact that they're so elite, they're really more like canaries in a coal mine, right? Mm -hmm. And if something is a little off, their usage is so high that they're going to begin to feel it. And the ubiquitous complaint was that they were all having a lot of GI distress late in a race, right? Oh, wow. Okay. And so I found myself, you know, making a lot of this stuff from scratch to remedy that GI distress that these athletes were having that I was also, you know, coaching and, and helping. But, you know, for me, it was a total pain in the ass. Like the last thing I wanted to do was wake up at five o'clock in the morning and make a bunch of, you know, fresh rice cakes or you right, know, make right. a sports drink by hand or, like, what, you know, can you explain to me, like, Can you explain to me like what a sports scientist would be like, what, what you would expect the sports scientist to be doing compared to like what you're explaining right now? Yeah, you know, like for me, uh, for example, the development of the PowerCat power meter uh -huh. and the validation of that unit and trying to understand how to interpret that data and how to better but, use it to train an athlete might be No, something. but I mean, I mean, like on in terms of the tour that you were on, like what would yeah. they expect yeah, so, you to do? Yeah, so for example, you know, if I was at the tour, I would be responsible at the time for analyzing that data, right? Uh -huh. And putting some some best guesses together about, you know, how the athletes were performing or what we might need to do to um, help them, right? Whether it was recovery, uh, okay. whether it was aerodynamics, whether it was, you know, thinking about, you know, the even the the, the tires and the rolling resistance, right, you know? Right. So like, you know, for example, I developed a, a protocol that was based on some of the work by Eiffel who built the Eiffel Tower for looking at the aerodynamic drag and rolling resistance of locomotives and uh -huh. figured out how to apply that to figuring out rolling resistance and aerodynamic drag in the field on oh, bicycles okay. so that yeah. we could then better optimize you know, the speed suits that they were wearing or the type of booties that they used or, yeah. you know, position, etc. You know, we did a lot on the nutrition side, so trying to figure out how to optimize you know, nutrition and hydration when they were on the bicycle. So for example, you know, uh, we started figuring out, you know, one of the tasks I was, 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 was given was, well, how much salt needs to be in their sports drink. And right. so we started doing, uh, these measurements of their body weight pre and post training in these large camps. Okay. Uh, making the assumption, for example, that thirst regulates the sodium balance. And if you have that as an anchor, there's some, some titration or chemistry here, but you start to realize that the athletes who are drinking by thirst, who are losing more weight than other athletes who are also by drinking by thirst, are losing more salt in their sweat than those athletes. And so for those athletes, you start to realize, oh, you need to give those athletes more sodium than the other athlete. And when you do, by I missed something there. I miss. Uh, uh, hang on. Let me let me track backtrack there. So you were saying the ones that are drinking by thirst were losing more weight than the ones that were drinking by like like on a regimen. No, I'm saying that if you have everyone drink by thirst, you'll uh -huh. see that some athletes lose more weight than others. Oh, right. And through some simple chemistry and math, you can back calculate that the reason why the athlete who is losing more weight. Uh -huh. by thirst than another athlete by thirst is not because their thirst doesn't work. It's because right. that athlete who's losing more weight is also losing more salt. Uh -huh. 
And that salt has that salt loss has an effect on their thirst drive if they're only drinking, say, plain water. Yeah. And so, so you start to realize like somebody that's like like sweating more, like they're like some like me. I'm a I'm a, I'm a heavy sweater compared to like some of my friends. Like we'll be out and I'll be like, "What the hell, man? I don't understand how you're not drenched like I am right now." You know. Yeah, a sweat rate can have a role in how much sodium we lose. The uh -huh. heavier we sweat, the tendency is is that we lose more sodium. But uh -huh. primarily, the concentration of sodium or salt in your sweat is determined genetically by something called CF1 or the cystic fibrosis transmembrane regulator. It's there a set of set of genes that actually affects how the sweat gland reabsorbs salt as blood or plasma moves through that gland to form sweat. Uh, it's a really, really unique gene set that is probably the most mutated gene set in the human body. And it, it really kind of describes humanity's relationship with salt, you know, over millions of years uh -huh. uh, that we really, really need salt to survive. And there was always been evolutionary pressure on salt preservation uh as a species and you see this reflected now in a huge amount of variability in that particular physiological feature uh -huh. some people lose a little bit of salt in their sweat other people lose a whole lot uh, uh -huh. and uh so what you were you finding know, then is the people that were losing more were losing also more weight yep that's right the people who were drinking by thirst losing more sodium, we're also losing more body weight or losing more water weight. Uh -huh. So those individuals were dehydrating more. And so as an example, as a sports scientist, I was, you know, pressed to kind of figure this problem out. And the solution was to give those individuals more salt. Right. Right. So was you, there you, anything like that group them that like, that you could say, oh, well, this person's probably going to be in the, in, in the lose more weight zone. Like, oh, there were, a certain ethnicity or they were a certain body type or they were i don't know any anything like a like a blood type or something like that 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 like pointed you in that direction or it was just you just by studying them yeah by studying them not not then you know that was a while ago but now uh -huh. there are genetic tests that you can actually uh you know use to determine uh -huh. that and there are also now direct measures uh where uh -huh. we can actually uh put a little a little device on the skin to capture sweat and we can get a non-evaporated sample measure how salty it is by direct uh -huh. measure uh, back then i didn't have a direct way of measuring it um, out in the field and we didn't have the genetic tests available and so we had to kind of mathematically interpolate it uh, right. so yeah that was the type of stuff that i would do you know maybe rate right training programs you know work on new technology so for example you know uh, there was a, a physician who had a, a cancer treatment center and she was using these compression uh, devices that she had invented um, uh -huh. to help with lymphedema and help with lymph drainage in these cancer patients. And I approached her and said, hey, do you want to, you know, could, could we buy a couple of these and bring them to the Giro d'Italia? Um, uh -huh. And she was like, oh, that's a really unique idea. You know, let me send my son with a bunch of units to Italy and see if this can help the athletes. And yeah. that technology ended up turning into uh, what is now the Normatec compression leg device, right? That a lot of, you know, endurance athletes will use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's um, super interesting. 
Yeah, you know, I was working with these power meters and, you know, I had this idea of connecting that power information to a GPS enabled cycling computer. And so um, wrote up a, a spec sheet and some ideas about how we could use that technology to monitor the training of our athletes. And we took that to a company called Garmin. Yeah, they thought yeah, it was, was a cool say, idea. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that stuff didn't exist before, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It, That's super rad. It came out of just a, a, a lot of problem solving and uh -huh. you know wanting to innovate and develop ways that we could help the athletes, and that also turned into the the Garmin Pro Cycling team, which I worked for for a while. So, as you were trying to like kind of make this stuff for these guys, and it was kind of just a a means to an end, or trying to overcome a, 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 a problem at the time. When was it that you decided this could actually be a product? Uh, you know, not for a while. Um, you know, the athletes always wanted the stuff and we ended up building out, you know, these really cool food trucks um, and hiring some great chefs to help with all of those, all of those tasks. Uh, it's a lot of work to, to to cook and feed a pro cycling team, especially yeah. a big race like the Tour de France. Yeah. Um, you know, and it just became kind of part of what I was was doing. Uh, what ended up happening was that I went to work for a team called Radio Shack that uh, was part of Lance Armstrong's comeback. Okay. And when I went to work for Radio Shack, within that first year, uh, Floyd blew the whistle on Lance. Yeah. Okay. Now Lance was under federal investigation. Right. So I came home from the 2010 Tour de France and there were a cadre of federal investigators waiting for me at my home. Right. And they were like, oh, so you're the guy mixing the stuff in the back, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it was a, a pretty, pretty intense moment in my life because, you know, I had spent all of this time trying to develop processes to help combat doping to the extent that I really did believe in Lance's potential. And I did believe that Lance yeah. could be a part of that solution. If he, if he, if he was able to ride a, a tour clean. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was too little too late. And all of a sudden, you know, I got kind of cast amongst all of that nefarious behavior and my career was over. Uh -huh. And so I didn't have a job. I didn't have any work. I didn't have any way to support myself. And at the time, all of these athletes were still asking me for this, you know, these drink mix formulas that I was making uh -huh. for them and asking me for the recipes that, you know, I would cook for them when I was on the pro tour. Right. And so effectively, because I didn't have, you know, anything else to do, I started putting together a cookbook with my good friend, Chef Bijou Thomas, uh -huh. uh, to codify a lot of the recipes that we had made for them when we were on the pro tour, essentially as a way to just say, hey, guys, here's a book of recipes that you can now use. Right. Stop bothering me. When I posted um, on Instagram, one of the people that responded on that had specifically mentioned that they enjoyed the cookbooks that you guys have. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even, yeah. I would have never even thought you guys sold cookbooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's ultimately the belief that sports nutrition starts in your own kitchen. It's not just what right. you open up or put in your bottle. Um, at the same time, I was writing this cookbook. Athletes were asking me, hey, will you make that sports drink for, for me? And you know, there was a young kid that I was uh, had coached who got injured named Ian McGregor. And Ian is one of the brightest kids around. And he was like, Al, this is an opportunity. Like, let's make the drink mix for them. Maybe sell it to them. Maybe this is a way we can both make money now that we're kind of down and out and we don't yeah, have yeah. jobs. 
And so we started making the drink mix for these friends of ours who were on the pro tour and a little blender and sending it off to them. So what was it about it that, that they, it, it was just like, they just felt like it made them perform better and that's why they were asking for it or they liked the taste of it or. Yeah. I think the primary thing was that it didn't give them any GI distress because uh -huh. it was so simple. Uh -huh. We effectively, you know, made a drink mix that you could make in your own kitchen. And because of that, there weren't a lot of excess ingredients or excess chemicals or excess right. vitamins. And a lot of the BS that was being put into sports drinks to quote unquote, optimize performance. The reality right. is with a sports drink, you just need something to replace the sodium you lose in your sweat and you need something that gives you a little bit of uh, energy to keep your blood sugar up and to help with water absorption uh -huh. you know and effectively that can just be cane sugar and salt right you uh -huh. don't need much else a little bit of flavor um you know the flavoring is is weird right because a lot of natural flavoring agents over time can leave uh taste in your mouth and that creates something that people call flavor fatigue where you just uh -huh. get sick of drinking something and yeah we yeah, were so using yeah we were using freeze-dried fruit to flavor which washes washes away really clean right and so i think the athletes just liked how simple it was they liked right. how um it didn't cause gi distress and that yeah. it didn't cause any flavor fatigue yeah um, that makes sense that totally makes sense to me I mean, yeah so it, this was just a kitchen job this wasn't yeah. This wasn't anything that was uh, particularly sophisticated, except for the fact that we had a lot of experience about, um, you know, like how to take care of these athletes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, initially I was just teaching these guys how to make this stuff, but yeah. they were they were too busy and too lazy to do it themselves. So they right. would just be like, "Hey, can you can you make it for me?" And so Ian and I we started making it um, using a little food safe paint bucket and the paint shaker at the local hardware store. So uh -huh. we would pre-fill these buckets and just use the the paint shaker at the hardware store. And, yeah. you know, on, on a good day, we could make like a hundred pounds or so. Um, we never really thought that, I mean, I didn't know if it could turn into a business. We were just trying to help out friends at right. the time. And we'll I was trying to money, figure out. Like, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like get by. Uh, yeah. It, we were, yeah, just barely, barely getting by, you know, and uh, what ended up happening was that so many riders on the pro tour were using the stuff that I was making in a paint shaker with Ian that uh, a company came to me and said, hey, look, we hear that you, ha you got this like secret drink mix. Um, right. How about we, you know, solve all your problems, make you a multimillionaire overnight if you sell us all the, you know, formulas and recipes and whatnot. I was like, yeah. Hell yeah, you send me a contract. Right, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. And you know, you get these contracts and they're so confusing. They're so long. I didn't, right. I didn't understand any of it. So I, I had to hire an intellectual property lawyer to review it for me. And we met at an outdoor cafe here in Boulder, Colorado. And as the, as the lawyer was reviewing the contract with us, a bird flew overhead and shat on the contract. Nice. Yeah, and so long story short, Scratch Labs began because of a magical bird poop. Right. Yeah. Basically the bird was like, here's your sign. Yeah, it was an omen. Yeah, we took yeah. it as a, we took it as an omen. And so, um, so you yeah. end up ripping up the throwing throwing that thing away because you just weren't feeling it for whatever reason. And then you guys decided, you know what, I think we have something here that like, we just have to put more time into it. Yeah, I think that we wanted to give ourselves a chance, right? Yeah. And I think that's part of 
anyone's possibility is that you got to give yourself a chance. And I right. started to maybe think, you know, this is way out there. This is probably pretty far fetched. You know, I don't, we didn't know if we could completely reinvent ourselves. You know, uh -huh. Ian was a pro cyclist. I was, you know, a former coach and sports scientist and neither of us knew anything about running a business or what it, right. what it takes to operate a business. And I ended up um, flying out to California to tell this company that the deal was off and, while I was out there, there were there are two really kind of meaningful things that happened on that same trip. One was wow. that I bumped into Gary Erickson, the founder of Cliff Bar. Oh, cool! And How I, did I told him, him? I, we were at a little charity event. Oh, and, cool! Uh, we ended up coincidentally being seated at the same table. Oh, nice! And so I, I took the opportunity to tell him about this bird shit and about <laughs> you know the, the the possibility of starting a business and asking yeah. him how he started Cliff Bar and. Uh -huh. You know, an hour later, we were both so emotional, and he was just like, "You just got to try, you know. Yeah. You just got to give yourself a chance." Yeah. And then the next day, uh, I was out on a bike ride, and I bumped into an old college roommate of mine named Aaron Foster. Uh -huh. And Aaron was a very successful artist. You know, he uh, was now trying to break into Hollywood. He was doing stand up, and he was doing some acting. Um, and you know, I thought that he would think the bird shit story was pretty funny too. So I told him right. the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. but he started like thinking like, Hey, Al, you, you've got some possibility here. And I, and right. I asked him a really simple question. I said, Aaron, how do, how do you start a business? And he asked me how much of this stuff I could make. And I was like, I don't know, about a hundred pounds a day. Yeah. And he was like, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take your product. You're going to sell it for money. You're going to put that money in a thing called a bank. Yeah. You're going to use the money in the bank to make more product. And you're just going to repeat the cycle until you make more and more product, right? Yeah. And then he looked at me really seriously and he said, but there's only one rule. There's only one rule you cannot break. And I was like, what's that? And he said, you can never spend more money than is in the bank. Yeah. And I was like, holy moly, man, you are a genius. You want to, <laughs> you want to help start a business? And he was like, yeah, why not? And so he packed up his bags. He moved out from uh, California and, you know, myself, Ian, Aaron, we just started hacking away at it. We, yeah. we really didn't have much more than just common sense yeah. and uh, a trust in one another. So but, at that point, were you like already like packaging it and selling it like in like a pretty like, like zipped up kind of way or was it no, like not at making all. it in a bucket and selling oh, it in Ziploc bags? Yeah, like, we were making this stuff in a in a paint shaker in a bucket, right. selling it in Ziploc bags, right? Yeah, okay. Like there's nothing zipped up about it. Like right, no, right. So I it totally nothing wasn't about like he was jumping in and you already had like had the no. like the boat yeah. and the water. It's a wing and a prayer. It's like right. Hey, dude, do you know anything about building bridges? No. Do you want to build a bridge from San right, Francisco right, right, to Marin? Right. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, this was, this was like, uh, yeah, building a raft with shrubs, right? Uh huh. Uh, so, so then where do you guys go from there? I mean, you're like, okay, we're going to do it for real now. Um, day one, you're like, okay, uh, back to the paint store. You know? Yeah, I think, I think that was effectively it. It was yeah. a very day to day type of process. It was, you know, uh, us just having fun with one another and, and kind of dreaming. And maybe we were very lucky that we didn't know what the rules were. Right. And so right. what we initially did, you know, was, you know, drinking beers and trying to figure out how 
one starts something like this. Right. We thought it was really funny that so many professional cyclists were using this stuff uh, instead of their sponsor's drink. And yeah. they were calling it secret drink mix. So we were just like, ah, let's sell it as secret drink mix. And uh-huh. we set up a little website that had a red X and, you know, little pictures of powder, no description about what it was. Right. But there was a convenient portal now to have people who were already buying it from us who knew me. Right. At least they could go to a website and put it in an order. And right. we could manage that side of it. So what really happened first was that we set up this secret drink mix website that right. was purely uh, in the no website. If you knew and someone told you where to go, then you knew how to buy the stuff. And, you know, you get your Ziploc bag of product was the idea. Right. right? right. Um, and what ended up happening was we got really lucky with some, initial reviews like we got a review from james huang from cycling tips okay. uh, sometime in like may of that first year in 2011 and orders started to just trickle in and other right. people started telling other other people and you know i would um you know basically just through networks of friends so it started 100 percent by word of mouth and um within a year we had made about a hundred thousand dollars or so, which we thought was really kind right. of phenomenal and, and, and over the top. And we started realizing you guys that any like idea, like what you were shooting for, like, no, like, we were shooting for paying like, our mortgage. We yeah, were shooting pay the for, rent, right? Okay. Yeah. We're, yeah. Like, yeah, we, we were at the time literally triaging our bills between the three of us, uh-huh. you know, who had the most important thing that they had to pay. And, you know, right. Ian was back in school getting a degree in mechanical engineering at School of Mines, and Aaron was still trying to get, you know, acting gigs and whatnot. And, uh-huh. you know, we were all just kind of piecemealing it together and working yeah. when we could. And uh, things were pretty uncertain, but we were also having a lot of fun and we were yeah. learning a lot with one another. And, yeah. you know, I think the natural path of a business in this way is that you get to give yourself the opportunity to learn, right? Yeah. And fun. yeah, and, it's fun and to learn. yeah, it's exactly. And, and I, I think that it was very much like three friends getting together and trying to figure out how to build a treehouse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the first version's kind of like janky and weird, and there's cardboard <laughs> everywhere, and you step right. on a nail, and you, you know, someone's got to go to the ER, and blah, 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 <laughs> blah. And you start to just kind of progress from there. Right. Uh-huh. And one of the things that we, we, we started realizing, and this is maybe the big part of it, is that initially it was just something to try, but we started getting these notes from people we didn't know who had bought the product really thanking us because we had transformed uh, their rides and we had yeah. helped them with something that was always a problem for them as well, GI distress. Yeah. And while I used to think that that was just limited to these elite pros who are these canaries in a coal mine, was happening to a lot of people and we found a lot of meaning in that and yeah. i think that when you begin to find your why in that sense your meaning your purpose in something uh-huh. um you find that extra little bit of motivation that this is important this is worth doing and that this is not just about business but this could be about helping others yeah and uh you know at the same time it could also be about helping ourselves and so we wanted to change the name we knew that secret drink mix was was just for fun but yeah. it didn't resonate with us anymore yeah it didn't really market well 
it, not just didn't market well, but there was nothing that we could believe in in that, right? Yeah. And you have to have a lot of belief if you're gonna go down a tunnel that you know nothing about, right? right like right. you're yeah, at the yeah. entrance faith of this tunnel. Yeah. yeah, you need faith and you need to know that there is something on the other side or that uh -huh. even walking in the tunnel in of itself is going to make you better. So it was at this time that we, we took the little bit of money that we had made from Secret Drink Mix and we decided to, you know, relaunch it as Scratch Labs. Uh -huh. And for us, the name Scratch was really important because not only did it denote what I had learned on the Pro Tour that food and drink is better from scratch, but it also was this idea that no matter where you find yourself in life, you can always start from scratch. Yeah. Right? Um, and for oh, me yeah. and my family, that that's entirely the American dream in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. And Ian was reinventing himself. Aaron was reinventing himself. I was reinventing myself. And, uh -huh. you know, if America is the land of opportunity, then it's really a place where you can reinvent yourself, right? And yeah. you can start over again. Yeah. Um, so starting from scratch resonated for us. And we added the labs because we wanted there to be this acknowledgement of science, this acknowledgement of logic, this acknowledgement of evidence-based problem solving. Right, so it wasn't just some like pie in the sky, like marketing group getting together saying we're making another drink. That's right, that's right. Yeah. And you know, I think if we knew then how competitive and hard this marketplace was, uh, we wouldn't have done it. But for me, it wasn't just about making a drink. It was also about, caring for athletes and so much yeah. of the care that I had employed, you know, bridged the gap between science and practice and uh -huh. science. You might learn about glycolysis or a particular biochemical pathway important for energy metabolism. But in practice, you got to learn how to make spaghetti bolognese, right? Yeah. To feed that pathway. Right. And so right. there was always a strong cooking element for me, a strong kind of element of hospitality and in serving uh -huh. fresh food and finding ways to do that. And so in our first year at Scratch Labs, we also launched a food truck service that we uh -huh. took to different sporting events. And we oh, also cool. launched the beginning of the Feed Zone Cookbook series. So uh -huh. yes, there was a hydration product, um, but there was also a, a cookbook series and there was also a food truck. So at that point, you guys were thinking about like how you could diversify the business. Well, it wasn't about so much diversification it was about playing to what i knew athletes needed in the field they need right. good food not just right. a sports drink right yeah, they yeah. need care they need hospitality um you know they need ideas they need education uh -huh. so the cookbook the food truck the so hydration generally, product generally speaking what what um kind of mindset are you using on the the cookbook or the the way that you would pre be preparing food is it like just calorie intake is it uh something that's more like keto or is it something that's more like raw or um just kind of a conglomeration i think yeah, you get no, the idea of what i'm saying there. yeah yeah I, I don't think there was ever a food philosophy that we were trying to follow it was simple delicious I want to eat it and this looks really good. Uh-huh. Right? That was basically so. it. There was no keto philosophy. There was no, you know, X, Y, A to Z type yeah, of yeah. dogma. You know, I think that having been in the sport a long time, you recognize that uh it's both very complicated and very simple. 
for the most part, endurance athletes need about 60% carbohydrate, 20% protein, 20% fat. Done. Uh Easy, right? Um, Executing that through recipes can be a little harder. But for the most part, if you look across many cultures, Spanish culture, Italian culture, Chinese culture, and you stop thinking about food as technology or in Uh a technocentric way and start thinking about food as something that has been part of our culture for hundreds of thousands of years, right. you, you see a general 60% carb, 20% protein, 20% fat makeup yeah. in most cultural diets. Yeah. And so and probably we just took, comes from the way that as we evolved, like that's actually the way that we could, what we could harvest in the day or what we could catch right. in a day or whatever. That's so right. then physiologically your body is set up to eat that. Best. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so okay. we, we took a more ethnocentric approach to our cookbooks. We took a more uh-huh. family orientated approach. Uh-huh. You know, we wrote our last cookbook, Feed Zone Table, around the idea that if you're an athlete, you don't have to eat differently than the rest of your family. You yeah. can still all sit down at the table and that it's probably more important, not what you eat, but how you eat. Uh-huh. And when you miss out on that family meal and you miss out on the social role that that, that food has in our lives, you see a lot of disease and you see a lot yeah. of uh, dysfunction and a lot of eating disorders and issues. Yeah, um, yeah. So we took a very, very common sense, pragmatic approach to the, the, the recipes. And a lot of these recipes were built off of recipes that I had used when I was working on the world tour. So right. there were recipes borrowed, for example, from my mom for chicken yeah. fried rice. Right? Yeah. or little bacon and egg sushi rice cakes, or uh-huh. you know, uh, a chicken tiki masala from from Bijou's family, uh-huh. who's, who's Indian. So uh-huh. yeah, basic, good tasting meals. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So at this point, then you guys are kind of like growing the company, and where where is it going from there? Like like, I don't I I don't know if we knew, and I think that was a big issue. Uh-huh. You know, if you asked me back then, where are we going? I would maybe very unconfidently say we're going where we're going. And yeah, that, yeah, that's not really a great leader uh, answer as a leader. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you do need to paint a vision, a picture for those who work for you and those who are involved about what the destination is, and you have to get people on the same page about that destination. And there has to be mm-hmm. clear buy-in so that you're all rowing in the same direction. And it took a couple of years for us to figure that out and to really understand what it takes to lead an organization and how to take care of people within that organization. So, so at that point you're starting to have like employees and, and like a, a, a building that you're working out of. And yeah, we, we found a little building that we got uh, for a thousand dollars a month in rent. It was this, you know, worn down old co-op that had a leaky roof and no heat. And yeah. uh, we didn't realize that the owner of this building was no longer the owner. He had gone bankrupt and was just pocketing the money. And about oh, wow. six or seven months into this place, uh, oh, the, no. the, the, the bank came a knocking and they were just like, what the hell are you guys doing in here? And we're like, like I don't oh, know. We're, we're, we're renting the place. What do you mean? What yeah. Are we yeah. And then that's when all of a sudden, you know, Boulder rental, warehouse real estate slaps you pretty hard in the face yeah and uh you gotta you gotta make some some adjustments to the bottom line Uh so there were a lot of like little crazy things that happened like that and you know we started at first just you know bringing our friends and yeah 
you know, uh, we had a lot of community support uh, that yeah. first year at Scratch. We would have, for example, these parties, pizza parties that we would throw where people would come in and for pizza, beer, and a bag of Scratch hydration, you would help us put stickers on our product. Yeah. Right? Because we didn't have printing at the time. We didn't have printed package at the time. Yeah. We were still putting stickers on these like foil bags that, that, that we used. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, everything kind of grew incrementally, you know, uh, yeah. you learn, you make mistakes, you, you, you slap yourself in the face, you pat yourself on the back and, did you have take to take investors anywhere along the line or did you just just keep growing organically or we primarily grew organically uh, uh -huh. the first year we took some money from friends and families yeah. you know guys uh, pros like taylor finney christian vandeveld etc yeah. uh you know you know gave us a little bit of money to start because uh, they believed in us and whatnot yeah. and so it was very very familial um, uh -huh. we didn't take on any professional investors and we're yeah. really Still very proud of that. Yeah, um, no, that, that's awesome. Yeah. I listened to this other this podcast called uh, "How I Built This." Yeah, and it's and it's I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but uh, yeah, they they go through a bunch of like origin stories, I guess you could say, with different companies, and uh, it's always very like the the path that you're talking about is very familiar to a lot of these other people that you know yeah. how yeah. they started as well. You know, yeah, exactly, exactly, and I think that. You know, we live in a world and I certainly live in a community where the drive is to exit and the drive is to build a brand, uh, try to get an evaluation and then yeah. walk away with a bunch of money. Right. And while initially that was something that, you know, was in our heads and something that people planted in our heads, as time moved on, we realized that that really wasn't us. Yeah. That's yeah. not really who we are. And we're in this very interesting kind of endurance niche we want to keep on serving that core and so yeah. you know we very much see ourselves as staying the path and growing organically growing you know with profit every year and uh -huh. growing at a rate that matches uh the 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 capacity for human beings to also grow right because uh -huh. money can accelerate things at a rate that i think is faster than what you know we as humans can handle yeah yeah no i agree um, there sometimes it yeah. gets in the way yeah, sometimes it gets in the way, and yeah. so we're we're really, really, I think, fortunate and happy to be uh, doing our own thing, staying our own course, and doing it in a way where we can enjoy the process, right? Uh -huh. And yeah. have 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 a high quality of life and extend that high quality of life to our employees and our whole entire organization. And um, so, how many how many employees is that scratch now? So we're now at about forty employees here in Boulder, wow. Colorado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so you got uh, quite quite the deal going on. Yeah, yeah. It's, you you it's, got your own paint shop back in there in the back now. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so how really, did how, really how did that like come about to like getting your own building and you know I, I'm assuming you're producing everything at at that at your your site now or are you having it made somewhere else or Yeah, we're having most of our products co-manufactured, right? Uh -huh. um, and I think. A lot of it is that the natural foods industry in the front range of Colorado is really, really robust. And uh -huh. we got, I think, really lucky in the community that we live in that we yeah. were able to find so many different high quality natural food manufacturers 
um, uh-huh. and you know had a community that was willing to make introductions and yeah. you know help vouch for us and you know have others take a risk on us because yeah. most of the time you know you you can't make the minimums for this stuff you know at our our command that we use today when I went to 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 them they thought I was crazy because I had asked for about 400 to 500 pounds. And they're like, look, one blender can make 3000 pounds in an hour. And unless you're running 24 seven for a week, you know, the cost of, of, of stopping one of these machines and cleaning it out and reformulating and putting new product in there is simply too cost prohibitive. Right. Wow. He, I think just, had a soft spot in his heart for, for the possibility and was willing to take one chance. And, you know, uh, even told me that he never thought he would see me again after that one run. Yeah. Uh, but you know, during COVID, um, we were, we became their biggest, their biggest client. And, you know, they mostly blend a lot of stuff for the restaurant industry, which almost, yeah. you know, stopped for a year and right. we, we, we kept them alive. Which right, is really, right. really cool. Almost a decade later, that that yeah, that, that's that's super that, cool. It's uh, kind of like you get the return the favor. Yeah, and and yeah. that that uh, felt really, really meaningful. And you know, last year too, amidst the pandemic, you know, we we as a small company were really able to rally the team and say, hey, look, you know, we can make our own financial decisions about how we want to take care of people. And if this pandemic, you know, means that we don't have business for a year, we've got enough cash on hand that. We can keep everyone employed and just stay the course and yeah. at least reboot when this thing's over. And right. I think that's hopefully safety and security rallied the team in a way that, 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 that did allow us to then, you know, take advantage of the fact that people were getting outdoors more and, yeah. you know, getting more active. And last year we ended up being named by outside magazine as one of the top 50 places to work in America, which oh, was really, cool. really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 really awesome. Did um, oh, shoot, I just lost what I was gonna say. Oh, how how much or like how different is what's in the bag now for the hydration mix than like what you started with? Uh, it's somewhat different uh, at the core. It's the same, but uh-huh. uh, some things that have changed. Um, we can now play with the grain size of the sugar as well as the fruit, as well as the sodium. Mm-hmm. And in the when we first were making this, for example, the size of grain of our sugar was different from the salt, was different from the fruit. And because of that, you as you mix the stuff, the layers are not always homogeneous. So uh-huh. in a given scoop, you may not always get the same amount same of sugar profile. to salt to, oh, to, yeah. to, to fruit in it, uh-huh. right? And, you know, as we have been able to buy at scale now and work with different suppliers, we can homogenize those sizes. Uh And that makes a big difference in even just blending. Uh Um, So, you know, when you're making in a paint shaker, you don't really have those kind of options. Right, (laughs) right. (laughs) Now we do. Yeah. Uh, I think another thing is that we've learned a lot more about sodium sweat concentration and content. Uh And so we have... uh, you know, the, the formula that we use today is a little saltier than the formula that we came out with nine years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, and we have a lot more flavors. But beyond that, I think it's really about the pantry. You know, we don't just have a sports drink now, but we also have a very high sodium drink mix. And we have a very high calorie, 
complex carbohydrate drink mix and we have a oral rehydration solution and we have anytime energy bars and we have rice crispy treats and we uh-huh. have energy chews and we have recovery drinks both milk based as well as vegan um so the the cadre of products that we have and continue to you know want to want to develop is is getting longer and longer so the the hydration mix is it um what kind of calories is in in that like if i'm making a bottle of it or two bottles of it on a ride yeah is it pretty like is it zero or is it you know yeah no it's it's one scoop in a half liter bottle which is a regular small water bottle Uh is 80 calories Uh and that comes from a mixture of cane sugar and glucose which gives you a mixture of fructose and glucose which optimizes its absorption Mm -hmm. Um, 80 calories is a little less than what many other manufacturers make that being said our drink mix our standard drink mix is really flexible in that if you use a standard scoop or half a scoop or even two scoops you'll get a solution that is really really easy on the stomach and so some people use our sports drink at two scoops to get 160 calories Mm -hmm. most people use about a scoop to a scoop and a half to get them at that 80 to 120 calories depending upon their own taste so is the idea idea there that you wouldn't be using like sports chews or something else as well like you would just be using the 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 drink or is the idea there um the the calorie count more for the taste that they're trying to get uh it depends on the weather and it depends on the temperature so Uh at one scoop or 80 calories per bottle if you're racing on a very very hot day or you're out training on a very hot day Mm -hmm. you're going to be going through more bottles just because you need more water yeah and on those hot days at a lower concentration, you can still get the same amount of calories as you might get with a higher carbohydrate solution on a mm-hmm. cooler day when you need less water, but the same amount of calories. So mm-hmm. it depends on the day. So for example, we see a lot of athletes using our high calorie solution when it's cooler. They don't need as much water, but they still need the same amount of calories. That makes and sense. When it's yeah, hotter, I, I definitely don't drink that much whenever it's winter you know yeah yeah but then when it's hotter and they need to drink more but their calories are still the same they use a lower concentration and they make it up by volume Uh so it really depends on weather and temperature um you know what we usually say is the the best thing for fuel or calories is going to start with real food or something solid so that you always have something in your stomach that is slowly trickling into your gut for absorption Mm -hmm. and then you can prioritize hydration with something that is a little lower in concentration because if something is too high in concentration in a sports drink you run the risk of gi distress Mm -hmm. um and this is why in the high calorie drink we make we use a very very complex carbohydrate that digests more like real food Uh um so yeah it just depends on 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 what you need and what the weather is like and ultimately you know we have our recommendations but a lot of athletes we work with just like the variety so that they can figure out what combination works best for them for yeah. a given, you know, duration, intensity and environment. So you guys don't have a goo, but you guys have like a, like sports chews kind of, right? We have sport chews and we also have a high calorie carbohydrate drink that can be easily used as a, as a liquid form of a gel that yeah. is, you know, less, um, you know, maybe disturbing to the gut. Right. So yeah. with the with the little chews though, um, 
I would imagine that's engineered in a way that the the sugar is actually kind of going to you on a, like an even like a more even keel. Uh, that's what watching- that's yeah that's what we think but yeah. we're not quite sure i think that you know there there is some scientific literature on the optimal fructose to glucose ratios and we certainly match those ratios yeah. for maximal absorption the idea with the the solid form using pectin is that you know it takes a little bit of time to digest and holds up in the stomach a little bit but if you were using a continuous blood glucose monitor and actually measuring how fast the glucose rises uh-huh. What I tend to see with our chews is that it does increase blood sugar pretty quickly, mm-hmm. um, even though it is in solid form. Uh, so, uh, you know, while how even keeled it is really depends on how much you take, it does tend to have a fairly quick spike uh-huh. uh, in terms of blood sugar. And so this is definitely not something you want to take if you're just hanging out you know, marathoning on Netflix. Yeah. But, yeah. 100%, uh, right. It's something a, that might be a couch snack. Yeah. It's not a couch snack, but it, it would <laughs> be something really good for an actual marathon. Right. Especially if you, you know, had a bunch, you know, right at the start or get go, depending upon your pace. Some, some guys I know eat candy on the trail, you know, instead of, instead yeah. of using sports, sports chews or drinks or whatever. And uh, yeah, I think that works. You, you think that scientifically, like that, that's just the same, like it really is no different or. Yeah, quite, quite possibly. Yeah. I was watching this thing the other day on, uh, on Netflix. Funny that you said that a minute ago. Yeah. And they were talking about how like sugar, pure, like cane sugar like that, the way that it spikes and then drops, it drops actually lower than maybe where you were spiking from. Whereas if you're eating sugar from like natural fruit, because there's the fiber in the fruit and the extra water in the fruit that it'll spike slower and then then kind of degrade slower over time. It, it depends on whether you're exercising or not exercising. That response uh-huh. between say fruit with a bunch of fiber and its whole form, whole uh-huh. food form versus say cane sugar in a liquid form uh-huh. is a correct profile if you were at rest and you had a big insulin response. Uh-huh. You know, as your blood sugar goes up and it will go up very, very rapidly with something like cane sugar and liquid, which uh-huh. is what is in our sports drink, right? yeah. that increase in blood sugar at rest is also going to cause your pancreas to release a hormone called insulin. Mm-hmm. Insulin then basically pulls transporters in fat cells and in muscle cells, something called a, a glute transporter, glute 4 transporter to pull glucose into the cell. Okay. Uh-huh. And what can happen is because that initial spike is so big, your pancreas releases too much insulin and all of a sudden more blood sugar gets pulled in than say what you started and that, but that's what causes that hypoglycemia. Uh, that's the dip then that they were that's the dip. Yeah. yeah. But during exercise, it's a very different situation because a contracting muscle can uptake glucose or sugar on its own through the contraction of that muscle. And so uh-huh. insulin isn't needed to pull that sugar in. And so in the state of exercise where your energy demand is very high, a big spike in getting your blood sugar up quickly and keeping it high might actually be a real advantage because now your muscles can kind of pull that exogenous or external sugar in by itself and you don't end up getting uh, a dip, right? Yeah. In the exercise situation, you know, the, the, the thing that you probably want is you, you want to bring that blood sugar up if it is beginning to fall because of 
you know, the work that your muscles are doing. Um, that's not to say that when, when it's falling, that's kind of like the, the, the bonk feeling. Yeah, that's right. When you start to get hypoglycemic and your blood sugar is not high enough to sustain uh, brain and nervous function. What's really interesting is that your brain and your nervous system rely solely on glucose or in the starvation state on keto acids for energy. Uh-huh. And so when that blood sugar drops too low, it has that real detrimental effect on your brain and nervous function. And ultimately during exercise, um, there is some notion that what we're, what the brain is trying to do is protect the body. And uh-huh. that there is this idea called uh, kind of central fatigue hypothesis, which says that anytime the body or the brain thinks it's in danger, whether that's too high of a temperature, whether that's thirst, whether that is too low of a blood sugar, the brain is going to stop us from exercising, right? Uh Slow us down to protect us. So yeah, maintaining a high blood sugar during exercise uh, may be a real key to performance. Uh, That being said, uh, having too high of a blood sugar the rest of your life is, you know, diabetes, which can be, yeah, Yeah. it could be really, really harmful to the body, can be really harmful for nerves, capillary beds, for your eyes, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So with your products, do you like, if somebody was to tell you like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a mountain biker and I'm going to go out and ride. Like, how should I be taking in calories while I'm riding? Yeah, I think it really depends on the duration, the intensity. I think for events less than two hours in length or workouts less than two hours, sticking with one to a, you know, one bottle to a bottle and a half at 20 to 30 grams of carbohydrate hours for your workout, having a better workout than without. Um, but then if you're starting to get out, Could you do me a like, favor? I don't know if it, if it actually came across that way, but for me, whatever you just said there kind of went a little digital on us. The internet wasn't, wasn't playing nicely with us. So you were saying one to two bottles and that, that was about the last thing I caught. Yeah. If you're taking in for just an average mountain biker working yeah. out for less than two hours, about, you know, anywhere from 80 to 150 calories an hour and, uh-huh. uh, having maybe one to one and a half bottles mm-hmm. an hour and having about, you know, roughly 800 milligrams to a thousand milligrams of salt an hour. That's that will do you. And and for us, that means that if you had a bottle to a bottle and a half of, you know, scratch sport hydration, uh-huh. you'd be perfectly fine. As so like the workout, yeah. As the workouts get longer, you know what you have to be concerned about is, you know, placing calories relative to your loss, and ideally, you want to replace about half the calories you burn per hour beginning uh-huh. with the first hour for anything longer than two or three hours. Uh-huh. Right. So give you some perspective, the best athletes in the world can burn about 800 to a thousand calories an hour. Right. So the best athletes in the world, we would be giving about 400 calories an hour. Right. Uh-huh. If you're not one of the best athletes in the world <laughs> and you're not riding in the Tour de France, yeah, you never need to take more than 400 calories in an hour. Yeah. Okay, I usually go for all my calories at the end. So yeah, <laughs> spread them out. Beer and chicken yeah. wings and <laughs> yeah, and, and look, you've made it this far and you look pretty good. So right. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I would mess with your program too much. Right, <laughs> right. That's too yeah. funny. Yeah, survival is always a good clue. 
as to whether or not you're doing it right. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, I, I say this, look, if, if you don't have any issues, if you're going out on your bike rides and you're having a good time and you're enjoying yourself and you're not bonking and you're not falling apart and yeah. you're not having any issues or anything you're complaining about, Hey, do whatever you're doing. It's probably mm-hmm. just fine. But if I, you are, I am. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, if you are having issues, you know, and, and, and you think you can be better. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good time to start thinking about it. I was taking these pills that, uh, some other company had sent me along the way. And unfortunately they went out of business, but they were like electrolytes and much different, like vitamins and all kinds of stuff that were in them. And yeah. the main reason that I noticed, at least for me, that they were really helping was that, um, like I said, at the beginning of the show, I, I sweat a lot. So yeah. I'm usually, I'm probably hydrating more than most people that I, that I ride with. Yeah. So I feel yeah. like I, I'm also like diluting whatever's going on in the inside as well because of how much water I'm t- intaking. That's right. And, That's uh, right. So sometimes then, you know, if I'm not taking a supplement or let's just say maybe my diet's not on point, um, I definitely will, will run into cramping at the end of the ride. So like what kind of things would you recommend for somebody like that? Yeah, I would just recommend our regular sports drink. I mean, all There's you really need to replace is just the sodium. And yeah. if there's enough salt in that drink, then you're fine. And if the concentration of salt in the sports drink is the same as your sweat, as long uh-huh. as you're close to matching your sweat rate, then uh-huh. you'll be a-okay. And here's the, the, the interesting thing about thirst is that your thirst mechanism during exercise will work better if you are drinking something that is approximately as salty as your sweat. Oh, right? really? Yeah, so you might be losing more salt than other people. And mm-hmm. so, you know, one thing that you can do is this. You can weigh yourself before and after a workout on a really hot day. Uh-huh. And during that workout, you just have to trust yourself and drink according to what you feel. Okay? Right. If you're more than, say, 3%, 4% body weight loss in that uh-huh. ride on that hot day, then on the next day, right, if you're going to ride the next day, yeah. try taking in more sodium, either through your sports drink or through your food, uh-huh. and see if that causes you to naturally drink more. If it does, then you're on the right track and keep on doing so until you feel like you've kind of optimized your performance. Yeah, yeah. I've been using those um, the Gatorade Zeros because just because – I knew that I needed more sodium, but I didn't want to be taking in a whole boatload of calories while I was riding. Yeah. Other than like ones that I like knew I was, t- you know what I mean? Like, okay, sure. I'm eat these blocks. I know how many calories are in them. Cause right now I'm, I've been on a kind of weight loss thing for the last year or so. Yeah. A little bit more diligent about what I'm eating in, in those terms. But, um, would there be something else like like if you were thinking about like your products, what kind of things would you recommend? Well, in our regular sports drink, we have 800 milligrams of sodium per liter, which is already you know quite a bit more than what you would find in say Gatorade. Uh-huh. And the Gatorade concentration is about six percent carbohydrate or six grams per hundred mil, and we start out at about four grams of carbohydrate or sugar per hundred uh-huh. mil. So you could dilute our sports drink a little bit and then supplement with salt in your blocks or your food. That could be uh-huh. one good solution. You know, the nature of it is, is that if you can 
um, the best time to be taking any sugar, if you're going to take sugar at all, is during exercise, right? Yeah, while you're doing and, it. Yeah. yeah, while you're doing it. And that will allow you to work a little harder, um, you know, perform a little better. And that might overall be better for a weight loss program. That being said, you know, there are some other ways to kind of kick this off. And that could just be by increasing the salt in your diet before you go out for exercise, right? Uh -huh. And then just relying on plain water or having, you know, some food with you with an extra amount of salt. But the nature yeah. of it is this, is that for every pound of water that you lose, you need probably about 2,000 milligrams of sodium. Uh -huh. and Here's the rub is that the USRDA for sodium is 2000 milligrams in a day, right? But a pound of sweat, you'll lose about the same amount of salt. How much is right? a pound of sweat? Like what, what, I don't know how long that takes. Do you lose a pound in, in a couple hours on a hot day? Do you lose a like, um, Oh wait, I, I misspoke. It's 2.2 pounds or a kilogram. Yeah. I was thinking in kilos. Um, yeah, you can lose about, uh, a kilo. 2.2 pounds yeah. easily in an hour on a hot day oh, wow. and for really elite athletes who have a much higher sweat rate because they're so good at controlling their body temperature. They can lose as much as two liters an hour, which would be equivalent to about four pounds an hour. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That, that's really, that's really crazy. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. So, so if, if you're a person that's eating candy, then you definitely need to be like, also figuring out how you're getting salt while you're doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a bag of potato chips might be a good way to do that as well, Yeah. right? Yeah. I think that ultimately our bodies are really smart. We have a natural desire for more salt when we're exercising. We have a natural desire for water. And I think a lot about it uh, of it starts with not ignoring those hedonistic drives, right? Yeah. Those, those drives that tell us that, you need or want something. Right. Yeah. So something like the, uh, like the age old trail mix with, with, uh, M and M's in it is probably actually a really good trail, actually trail snack because yeah, you're pulling the fats from the nuts. You're pulling the salt from what's on the nuts. And then that sugar boost from the M and M's as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so it doesn't take much. And there are a lot of common foods that we can use when we're working out that can be just as good as uh, sports prepackaged sports nutrition, including uh -huh. the products that we make. Right. There's always so, a good alternative. So as you guys got along, you, you know, you did the sports drink, you started doing the, the, the different things that you're that you're making. What um, what's the products that you're excited about right now? Uh, I'd have to, I could only tell you if, you know, I ended up, you know, so. uh, yeah. we have to sign an NDA first that you're selling, which ones are they, or are you excited about now that you're selling, uh, that we're selling right now. I think the two products that really, really bolster me are the, we make this really cool rice crispy treat, kind of an uh -huh. adult version of a rice crispy treat. Again, so the idea that like, you know, regular stuff that we grew up on, could work just as well in the context of exercise and that a lot of these kind of sweet treats that are bad for us when we're not exercising may actually be pretty performance enhancing when we're working our butts off. So we make this chocolate um, and this regular vanilla or mallow and the strawberry rice crispy treat with uh, 
not just you know puffed white rice, but also puffed brown rice and a little bit of quinoa and wild rice and black rice and red rice. Oh, wow. and it's kind okay. of this multiverse of different types of puffed rice grains, which gives it a really cool texture, a really cool yeah. look. And then we're using a slightly lighter mallow with a little bit of egg in it that, that makes uh -huh. it a little more robust. Um, and it's just freaking delicious on a bike ride. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. a big part of it. I think if you're going to put anything in your mouth, you might as well put something that you really, really enjoy. Right, that being right. said, it does provide an ample amount of carbohydrate in both complex and simple form. It does provide, you know, a good amount of salt. It does provide a little bit of protein yeah. um, and a little bit of fat. I, I'm one of those people that struggles to eat when I'm on a ride. So that's, I always tend to lean towards like the goose or the blocks or like if it's yeah. candy, it's like a, like a gummy bear kind of candy or something like sure. that. Sure. Because I, I, I like, I just can't like, like my, um, my body shuts down the, like, I want to eat something that's actually food. Yeah. Like yeah. thing when I'm exercising, you know, yeah. it, and even sure. afterwards, like some guys can like leave a ride and go straight to the restaurant and like just start mowing down. And I, I'm like, yeah, we need to drink a couple of beers first or something like, like, I don't yeah. know what it is. Like, even yeah. if I'm not drinking beer, it's like, I, I need a little bit until I'm actually going to be like ready to eat. Yeah. My guess is that you, you have a little harder time with thermal regulation or staying cool and that you have a bigger issue when it's hot than when it's cold and that yeah, your yeah, ability to eat really is temperature dependent. Right. And on the hot days, it takes you a while. Yeah, right? yeah. And you got to cool down first before you can eat. One of the things that happens is that as our temperature rises, our core temperature rises, um, our gut wall begins to fail and doesn't work as well. And so the ability to absorb uh, things um, degrades a little bit. And so we need to cool down before we can get a good meal in. Yeah, so yeah. watching your body temperature, keeping yourself cool out on rides, maybe even pouring water over yourself or jumping uh -huh. in a cold creek. Those are those are things that might help. You might oh, want to yeah. take a little float in the American River next time yeah, you're out there, there riding. Go, right? Yeah. There's not a whole lot of water out in the trails right now. That's for sure. I, I, yeah. So definitely, but uh, watch your body temperature is, is, is my recommendation. Yeah, right on. You know, it's things like that, though. It's, like, interesting to hear – like an explanation like that because yeah. at the end of the day i kind of do like what you were saying earlier is like you know just trust your body right yeah so if my yeah. body's telling me like don't eat food like that i'm like all right i'm not gonna do that you know? yeah. <laughs> like, totally yeah. totally trust your body there's a good yeah. reason for it right and yeah. uh yeah. yeah yeah so so um looking back on like everything that you guys ha have done do you feel like you got to where you are by luck or by like expertise or like being at the right place at the right time? Like how, how do you, how do you think that it fell together? All luck, yeah. luck, 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 more luck, yeah. more luck, 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 luck. <laughs> like anyone who thinks otherwise is crazy because look, uh -huh. I mean, I didn't pick my parents. I had wonderful parents. Right. Right. They were smart. And when I was in high school taking calculus, my dad just knew how to do those calculus problems. That's right. really weird. Right. Like most dads don't know how to do those calculus problems. Right. And you just like, here, give me a pencil. I'll show you how. Bada yeah. bing, bada boom. Right. That's just luck. Right. And, you know, by the time 
I got to the pro tour and met the friends that I met and, you know, the relationships, et cetera. And you just never know how things are going to go. I mean, even being an American and having a passport that says USA on it and the, the ease at which we can start businesses, right? Like I might've had all these other, all this other knowledge, expertise, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, if I lived in a different place, this might not have been possible either. And yeah, there's a lot of hard work involved. And there are a lot of mistakes and a lot of things we got to learn. But I also consider those things to be part of that luck, right? Uh -huh. Like, I'm lucky that I'm interested in working and that I'm, you know, want to solve these problems and that yeah. I'm interested in my team and what they're what they're doing. And, you know, um, yeah, man, it's all luck. Yeah, yeah. What um if if somebody was curious as to what Scratch Labs is and like what it stands for, like what 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 do you think of it as now? You know, I my definition of it, it doesn't fit any categories that are kind of normal marketplace categories. Like uh -huh. in business, we talk about channels. Like oh, there's the specialty channel, and there's the grocery channel, and right. there's you know sports nutrition distinguished from food and drink, distinguished from yeah, restaurant yeah. catering services. Yada yada yada. Yeah. And then you look at trademark law, and you get all this BS around all these different categories. And yeah. you know, oh, this is this is you know about x category and that's about y category and i yeah, just yeah. think my, that, lady, my lady does marketing for the usda so i totally know what you're saying <laughs> yeah and i just think that we're just trying to help people be better man uh-huh right and there's so many ways to do that whether it's like making somebody a fresh meal and having them over for dinner or you know catering an athletic event or making a better sports drink or uh -huh. teaching someone about their body or writing a cookbook like, yeah. I don't know, you know, these are all the things that I did as a sports scientist, as a coach, as a caregiver, when I was working in pro sports and that I continue to do as I take care of the athletes I, you know, either sponsor or coach today. Uh -huh. And it's hard to say, oh, this is just sports nutrition or this is just exercise physiology. Yeah. Ultimately, I think that the idea that we want to be better is very, very human. And so yeah. it, the way that I like to characterize what Scratch Labs is, if anything, it's a small business in America built on human dignity. Yeah, that's awesome, man. If you're looking back and uh, thinking about the accomplishments that you guys have had, like what's, what's, what, what comes to mind? Well, certainly being selected by Outside Magazine is one of the top 50 places to work in the US. That's yeah. a huge deal. I mean, yeah. there are hundreds of thousands of businesses in America right. and to be able to say like, we're distinguished by the fact that people like working for us yeah, and that they enjoy themselves and that they have a sense of purpose and meaning and that, you know, by no means are we perfect, but we try our best to, you know, put human beings first. Right. And to realize mm -hmm. like, Hey, you know, there's a certain way that we can optimize our work. And that's not by putting a gun to someone's head and saying, you got to work from nine to five and get out this yeah. many emails. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think that being able to care for people is super, super important. That's what I'm most proud of. And that's what I most look forward to is that I know we can be better in that regard. I know that we're not yet 
at a standard that I want to be at. We're yeah. by no means perfect. We do have a lot of ongoing issues, but we keep on working on those issues every day. We hack away yeah. and we try to take yeah. care of, you know, our problems one by one in a way that they don't come back. Right. Yeah. And if you can do that every day in your life, that's when you start to approach, you know, hopefully something that you might call excellent. But right. at the end of the day, I don't think it is about being the best. I think it is about progress. Yeah. And that you can't so much worry about perfection as you can worry about what you can do better. Yeah. We were talking before the show that I was in the military. And when I was in the military, I I had the opportunity of having some some really shitty leaders, you know, like yeah. guys that had never had any direction on how to be a leader. Maybe they maybe they didn't play sports, maybe they didn't have a dad at home, maybe they didn't get any kind of training on how to be a leader you just like go through the ranks and you make more rank and then you tell people what to do and in the yeah. military like a uh, good way of how they teach people is like through pain and torture right it's like yeah. you didn't listen to me do these push-ups or do this yeah. or that yeah however i also had the opportunity to serve with some guys that were just phenomenal leaders and i don't yeah. know where they got it from but what they did do is they rubbed it off on me Mm, that's awesome. Late, you know, later in my career, as I, I got to a point where I would be managing people, I always kind of went with the approach that if you treat people really good, they will bend over backwards for you, man. Yeah. Like, like so instead of like standing on top of the like the the the, the like the captain's part of the ship and just yeah. whipping everybody to like keep rowing, yeah. like yeah. like if you make them happy about being on that boat they'll row all day. Yeah, you know? totally. Totally. When your when your authority comes from a place of trust and care, that's yeah. far better than a place of fear and threat. Yeah. Right. And those authoritarian leaders who lead by trying to instill that fear in others, they're false leaders, man. Yeah. Right. You, yeah. you have to care. And I think a leader is the person who is looking after that pack. Right. Yeah. And, and many times reluctantly. Right. right. Like, it's hard and you know we don't always want or are ready for that responsibility and and i think that bottom line you just gotta you gotta care you gotta give a shit yeah yeah so i take it i mean you got a bunch of bikes all around you how much do you ride normally uh you know i haven't always been good about it but um and pre-covid i was on and off like three times a week was a good week yeah. during COVID. I started to ride a lot more cause I had the time and yeah. I started realizing how much better, how, how effective I was. And now I, I, I try to make it kind of the most important thing I do every week yeah. is riding my bicycle, not just because I love it and I enjoy it, but because as I've gotten older, I've realized that the only way that I can maintain my health, um, is to work harder than I used to when I was younger. God, that's the truth, man. Right? It I'll, takes I'll a lot more work. I, uh, I I lost a lot of weight in the last year, and um, it's not the first time in my life that I've done that. Yeah. So part of that is like a is good and bad. You know, like it's good that I know how to do it. It's yeah. bad because I also have taught myself I know how to do it. So it's like that's part of the oh, fuck it whenever I'm not, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, along along that path this last year, I 
I had this this thought in my head that I could get to like a goal weight, yeah. Yeah. and then I would be able to like maintain this level of activity, whatever it is, you know, gym X amount of days and ride X amount of days. And, and if I did that, once I got to my goal weight, I would be able to maintain and just eat whatever I wanted and drink whatever I wanted. No. And, and now, you know, it's like, man, I'm mid forties and, and apparently shit doesn't work that way anymore, man. (laughs) Apparently. Yeah. We're not as insulin sensitive. You know, our metabolic rate is lower. We're better diesels than we are fast burners. And, you know, even the thermic effect of food or the amount of calories that you burn to digest a certain amount of food goes down. Yeah. Right. Everything gets shifted and, you know, uh, oh, it's terrible, isn't it? Do you think there's a market for different products for people based on age? There could be, but the aging process really, really also depends on how physically active you are. Right. Uh-huh. And that's the big X factor. I think also metabolism is so much affected by our sleep uh-huh. that probably how much we sleep has a bigger impact on our metabolism than does our age. And yeah. that, you know, we reach a certain point in life, especially if you're having kids, et cetera, you know this, that yeah. you're not sleeping and you see some massive metabolic changes with that sleep deprivation. You uh-huh. know, if for example, you're a night shift worker, you're, you're at a really, really big disadvantage in terms of the impact that negatively has on your metabolism. Right. Um, so, you know, I'd say like physical activity, sleep and your stress level will have more impact on those factors than say, you know, your diet or diet type. And Uh when you look at blue zones, places in the world where people live well into their hundreds, you know, one of the things that is very characteristic of, of those areas is that people eat the same their whole entire life. They just start to eat less as they get older. Uh huh. Right? Yeah. Dang it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I I, I had to come to the the, con- the conclusion that my hypothesis was wrong, and <laughs> I yeah. actually have to get to that go weight and then still maintain some level of like integrity with what I'm putting in my mouth. Yeah, and <laughs> and probably every year that you get older, you're probably gonna have to be that incrementally more careful about what you eat. You've got yeah. to work out probably harder. You know, yeah. like you've got to be in the gym more. You've got to strength train more. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. All these things that I didn't do when I was younger, I have to do now just to feel or even, you know, be on on even a somewhat on par to when I was younger. Yeah. You know, uh, that being said, it's possible to do. And yeah. it just takes a lot of work. And, you know, I, I feel very, very grateful and lucky that um, – I can make those choices now, even though it's sometimes really, really hard. Yeah. 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 It definitely, I, I, I'm a peak and valley kind of guy. So I always, yeah, say me I too. That, I have that all or nothing personality. And, and yeah. it's, if I'm, if I'm all in, man, I'm freaking dedicated. And, yeah. but if I'm not, I'm just as dedicated to not being healthy. Sure. You, sure. you know what I mean? So sure. it's like, sure. it, it I, I wish that I could find some kind of balance in my life, but I'm just, you know, there's certain things that you just got to understand about who you are and then kind of that's right. play your deck that way, you know? That's right. That's right. So you might as well lean in, man. I mean, right? it's better. Exactly. It's not just better for you, but it'll be better for the world because you'll be uh, less moody out there probably. Yeah, yeah. So when you go out on those rides, what are your favorite products to take with you? So I always take the sport drink with me. 
there's never a situation where I just take plain water. And uh -huh. I don't think that there's ever a situation where plain water is better than something with a little mix, especially if it's hot out. Uh -huh. Um, you know, I won't always drink all my bottles. I will always drink to thirst. So I don't force myself to drink when I'm out there. Uh -huh. And then, um, I will bring some single sticks of drink mix in case I need a refill. I'll uh -huh. bring the rice crispy treats with me. I'll usually have one or two on a, on a long day. Uh -huh. Um, and, uh, you know, on occasion I'll have, uh, a pack of energy chews as well. Uh -huh. And that's about it for, for a bike ride that will get me through a four, uh, hour bike ride, you know, uh -huh. in say 85 to 90 degree weather. Yeah. Um, I did about a four hour ride today and I had, um, five water bottles. So I had like started with two, I had three, you know, single packet sticks with me. Um, I made one of my bottles with two scoops. So a little extra, extra juicy. Yeah. And, um, I had one rice crispy treat, but mid ride about two hours in, I got super hungry and a little bonky and yeah. there happened to be a whole food. So I got some avocado rolls, sushi rolls oh, there you and go. a bag of chips yeah. Had that and then kept on trucking. So you're doing a road <laughs> ride. I was doing a mountain bike ride today. I oh, did right, like, man. I did like 45 miles on the mountain bike today, Ooh. which yeah, that's, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty messed up. I'm tired. That's a beast mode, man. How, how much yeah. elevation did you put in? I only did, it was rolly. So I only did about, I did about 4,000 feet of climbing today. Yeah, only 4,000. That's a pretty yeah. good, that's a pretty big day. It's a big day for, well, in Boulder climbing wise. I yeah. Don't know. I mean, over 45 miles, I mean, it's not a lot of, I'm assuming not a lot of peak climbs. No, so no. That, that's, that's mellow for that much mileage. Because yeah. your 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 geography is probably pretty close to what I, where I'm at here. Yeah, right? are you in the foothills of Sacramento? Yeah, I mean, basically where I'm riding, I'm going into the foothills or into Tahoe, so it's kind of like yeah, yeah, same, similar, similar. Yeah. So you can choose to do a lot of extended climbing here in Boulder, or yeah. you can, you know, I was staying kind of in the foothills. I was going up yeah. and down mostly. Yeah. yeah, that's good stuff. So, what's your favorite kind of riding to do? Is it like is is the passion still with the road bike or? Um, I love the road bike because it's fun and you get a lot of kind of free miles with the road bike, right? Yeah. Just going fast. Yeah. But uh, during the pandemic, it has been my Scott fully rigid hardtail. So I got uh -huh. one of these Scott scale RCs uh -huh. and um, I took the I took the front fork off of it and I put an Envy fully rigid fork on it. Oh, okay. And I call it my the better version of a gravel bike, uh -huh. right? Because it's a 29er, it rolls freaking fast. I put some Continental, you know, Race Kings on it that are uh -huh. maybe not a great tire, but super freaking fast tire. Uh -huh. um, and I use it effectively like, like what, the way. What, that's like a 2.2. Okay, so pr pretty skinny then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I, I use it like a gravel bike. Yeah, yeah, right? but still with yeah. a flat bar. Yeah, still so, so with a flat bar. Right? Nice. And part of that was that I had a, a shoulder reconstruction done during COVID. I had a, a labral tear in my left shoulder and uh -huh. getting back on the flat bar bike was initially easier for me, but then I have so much fun on it and I can do so much good work on it uh -huh. that uh, I find myself riding that like 70% of the time now. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's super yeah. fun. It's super fun. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely um, got on the hardtail kick for a while, but I just recently sold my hardtail and, <laughs> 
bought a short term travel 29er. So that's my, oh, nice. That it, it was my like, the, I loved riding my hardtail. It really brought back a lot. It was the first time I was riding a hardtail since I was a kid, really. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, uh, it brought back a lot. It made me realize a lot of like skill set that I was kind of maybe getting sloppy with, with the full squish. Yeah. You know, yeah. It made me help pick my lines better, but man, that's right. Beat that's my right. Back up, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. My back's a little sore today too. I rode the hardtail most of the day and here's what I've learned riding a hardtail. Don't hit rocks. Right. Yeah. Go around <laughs> them. Right. Yeah. Go around them. Like, like, just screw it. Just don't hit the rock. Like, <laughs> there's a rock. It doesn't look like a big rock. And normally if I was on a full suspension, I would just hit it because it's more right. fun. But right. like on the hardtail, especially a fully rigid one, you're just like, oh, don't hit yeah. rocks. Yeah, yeah. That's there's there's nothing funny. good about hitting a rock. Sometimes that obvious, uh, there's obvious um, things like that are just right in front of you, but you don't think about it until like, oh, it's a revelation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I hit a lot of rocks today. I think I'm not not as good at steering as I used to be. Right. So still hit a lot of rocks. Are you guys starting to have events over there now? It's full on like Donkey Kong. Right. Yeah, because I think uh, Yeti just had their their big gathering out there. I think that was just last weekend or something. Yeah, like outdoor retailers about to happen here in Denver. Steamboat Gravel, Leadville is on. Uh, uh -huh. You know, I think that, you know, an area for the most part, I think we're in a time and place now where it's up to the responsibility of the individual, right? Uh -huh. And in restaurants, everything full on and, you know, hopefully you're vaccinated and can carry yourself and it's all yeah. good. Yeah. So, so is the individual participate in a lot of events and things of that nature or do you we do yeah we have a we have a pretty we have a pretty field active field marketing program that is about to get a lot more active now that um a lot of events are turned back on again yeah. um you know we were out at unbound i'm going to be at both leadville and then the next day at sea steamboat gravel uh -huh. um you know we have mostly been focused in Colorado and our immediate kind of region. Yeah. But I think by the fall, we'll get teams out to other locations. For example, we'll be out at Sea Otter uh, yeah. in California, and that will be a, a big event in October. So it's pretty interesting. You know, things are are definitely uh, turning back on again. I think a couple of years ago was the first time I heard of your product um, through another YouTuber. Um, yeah. Sid Mackie, I think you guys have them. They're like ambassadors or sponsors or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I've definitely since then have noticed your product like in more bike shops and more places. So you guys are definitely, um, it seems like, like, like spreading your wings more. Yeah. We're, we're getting momentum. I think naturally, right. Uh -huh. Every year we, you know, grow a little more and grow a little more and that has some positive momentum and, you know, we gain new customers every year and that's uh, it's been really, really neat. You know, it's not like we came out with this big marketing push, you know, or have ever had a big marketing push. We've just kind of um, have grown according to our own scale every year, according to our own size every year. And every year as we grow a little more, we have a little more capacity to do more. And that's nice momentum that builds over, over time. Um, um you know, we certainly don't have the same resources a lot, lot of our competitors who are more mature or uh, yeah. bigger than us, but it's been a good start and we've uh -huh. enjoyed ourselves and have been, I think, um, both really challenged in many ways, but also have learned a ton and have had uh -huh. uh, a lot of great success along the way. 
Do you think that you're like, since you're, you're a cyclist, do you think that your products like target cyclists and how they would need energy better or hydration better or anybody that's active would be a good, good person to be using scratch? Yeah. I think anyone that's been active, I, I think that over the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of inroads and different sports. You know, we have a number of NFL teams who uh, use and buy our product. We have a number of major league baseball teams. We have some pro basketball teams we have you know something like seven or nine nascar teams that use oh, wow. our product um we have a lot of military you know uh a lot of special forces groups the you know air force pjs uh some coast guard units uh, yeah. buy from us uh so yeah we've seen a lot of a lot of different inroads you know we've got uh ballerinas um yeah. we have runners we have triathletes obviously because um, I'm a cyclist and because we have grown naturally, you know, uh, we started within a network of, of, of people who knew us and we're still very much a word of mouth company. And that's where we have the most momentum. Yeah. But I do think that the principles that we use from a science perspective to develop our products work for anybody, for example, on the hydration side who are sweating or on the food side, who's hungry from exercise. Yeah. Right. That's gotta be super fulfilling though. I mean, to like look at, the reach that you have now. You know? Yeah. 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 It's really cool. It's really cool. You know, we've had Olympic fencers and volleyball players. We've had rowers. We have, yeah. you know, a, a, a whole kind of multiverse of different um, athletes and sports. And we also find ourselves in weird places like in Boulder, there's, um, you know, a lot of people uh, use the drink mix when they're in labor. And oh, yeah delivering kit you know delivering their 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 kid that's a real special thing you know so much so that we actually have these little cool little baby onesies that we give to our customers who have used scratch when uh during delivery oh that's rad that's yeah rad. yeah if you had like a, a a little time machine and you you were able to step back to the guy that just watched the bird people in the contract yeah like, what, what would you say to him well, I was just with my attorney, you know, uh, when that happened. And I think that um, what I'd say to my lawyer or what I'd say to myself if, if I saw it uh, happen again is that, you know, maybe some combination of either it's on or thank you, universe, you know, yeah. like um, getting shit on is not always a bad thing right there's 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 duality and contradiction in, in everything we do as human beings and i think it's okay to lean into that contradiction and lean into that duality yeah 100 um, yeah simple answers don't have to always exist yeah 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 it's funny how life screams at you sometimes that's right that's right that's right so we're just about at two hours here and do you, do you watch youtube i do i go down yeah. the rabbit hole all the time I always ask people at the end of the show, and it doesn't have to be bike related. Yeah. What kind of what channels do you like to watch? Because I always find like there's some fun ones that people will come up with, and I'll be like, "Oh man, yeah, now I'm stuck." Thanks. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> I I, lo I watch a lot of like um, the audition shows, like the, the 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 talent shows, like America's Got Talent, and uh -huh. the you know the idol genre, and you know the Voice. But yeah, I yeah. don't watch the whole shows. I just watch the auditions. Oh, yeah. Those are super fun. Yeah. I love that. 
I love that. Like it's so emotional, right? And you see yeah. people amidst their own possibility, uh, yeah. amidst their own greatness. And, and then so some much of is them on the line. Just believe that they're great and just aren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all over the place, right? It is. Right. It is. It is the complicated splendor. Yeah. And uh, I really, really dig that. I think YouTube is also a, a, an amazing place to get educated. I, I got into photography a little bit, and. Um, you know, bought this little camera called a Fuji X100V, and I've been watching a lot of Fuji uh -huh. YouTube videos. Yeah, um, it's it's amazing the uh, the the plethora of knowledge that's that's sitting there at our fingertips. You know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. I also watch the news on YouTube now because there aren't any commercials, so uh -huh. like you can watch NBC Nightly News and basically 18 minutes with no commercials and have to sit through all that crap. Oh, there you go. Right, I'll definitely so, have to check that out. <laughs> that's a that's a good use of time, and um, yeah. What do you watch? Me, I like yeah. all kinds of stuff, but you know, obviously, I watch the mountain bike stuff. I I really like that Hot One show. I don't know if you ever seen that. Uh -uh. It's a uh, they he interviews like famous people while they're eating these hot wings, and they oh, go yeah. through like there's that's like ten one. hot wings, and like the that's first right. one's mild, and the last one is like crap your pants or something like that you know and yeah like, sure sure it's always That's entertaining awesome. to see how how people do that um there's yeah. a girl that i like to watch i can't think of her name right now she's in oakland and she like builds like useless robots oh wow so it's just like just like huh. you know here's one that puts lipstick on like but bad like it's just yeah. like drawing all over her face you know yeah so, there's but, also uh, bread face blog she's a woman that just smashes her head into pieces of bread Oh, there I you go. The bread. Very <laughs> weird. Very kinky. Right. Yeah. I'll have yeah. to check that one out. There's nothing yeah. else better to do on a Friday night after a six pack of beer. Watch some chick smash her face in bread. That's right. That's right. <laughs> There's also Uncle Roger. Uh, he's a Asian comedian out of the UK that does oh, yeah. a, a parody of 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 you know, Mr. Rogers and something else. Things Asian. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's 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 very it's a very specific niche for guys like me. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's pretty good. You should check out uh, one of the other guys I had on the show told me about this channel called Cart Narks. Okay. And, and he basically like harasses people that don't put their cart back in the, the little buggy container oh, at, yeah. the, at the grocery store or the Walmart yeah. or whatever. Oh, and man. People get super triggered. And yeah. uh, he definitely like knows how to push their buttons. So it's pretty fun to watch Whoa. like a train wreck. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. yeah that's, yeah. you know, I think Dostoevsky called that um, being a predator of grief. <laughs> that's a good right? way to put it. Yeah. It's also called rubbernecking in California. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with me and talk about your company. It's been super fun and yeah. really entertaining to hear where, like, where you came from and how you got there. And I think that we, you know, we also talked about the products and, there's definitely there's there's science behind it you know what i mean and i think yeah. that sitting here and listening to you talk about it it definitely in my eyes and i even saw it in the comments as we were talking like that helps people realize that it's not just some you know like pepsico coming out here like yeah we're gonna put another brand on this and that's right and we're gonna get people to drink this stuff you know like that's you're actually right. caring about what what people are putting in their bodies and, and, you know, trying to, to help them perform better. That's right. 
in the context of exercise. So this stuff does not work when you're sitting on the couch, right? Yeah. You got to be hard. You got to earn the stuff and, you know, drink when you're thirsty and eat when hungry, repeat if necessary, right? Yeah, 100%. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Everybody out there listening, if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, please do it. If you have, if you liked what you, you heard, hit the thumbs up. If you're listening on a podcast, do me a favor and write a review on the podcast. At least if you want to write a good review. If you don't want to write a good review, just don't do it. It doesn't take time. It's too much of your time you don't want to waste. You know, life is important, right? So if you uh, if you guys want to do see some more content, please stop by my Instagram or my Facebook and give me a follow over there. Um, there's links in the show more to get the Scratch Labs and check out their products. Go over there. You can pick some up there. Uh, I know I've seen them in my bike, my local bike shops as well. Do you guys sell at any retailers, like national retailers? Yeah, we sell at REI, we sell at Whole Foods, we sell at Target. Perfect. Um, you know, we can you can also find us online at scratchlabs.com or yep. you know, all the Amazon type yeah, of yeah. places, backcountry.com, competitive cyclists, wherever you like to shop. Right. Your on. local bike shop. Yeah. Support yeah, yeah. your like your 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 local bike dealer for sure. For sure. So everybody, you guys know you guys know the deal at the end of the show. Um, I want you all to remember one thing. If that if that's the only thing that you remember, it only takes a bike to be a biker. So get out and be one.